Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as a part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. Before we babble like Butterbur, which is our normal segue into our podcast, uh, we figured it'd be probably pretty important to tell you why our podcast is named Well-Earned Comforts. So maybe you know that's what Merry and Pippin say as they're on the walls of Isengard as the Fellowship, Gimli, Aragorn, and, and Legolas, they ride up to the walls and they're like, oh, you're, you're alive, you're here. And they're like, yeah, we just, you know, we're, we're enjoying salted pork and they're smoking pipes and they're, <laughs> they say we're enjoying some well-earned comforts after they're sitting on a field of victory. Um, so Seth and I, uh, we decided that we'd name well-earned comforts because we truly believe in doing things well, earning a reward. You know, you have to put in the work, whether that be physical, working out, or if that's in our spiritual life, or even just with our relationships, the people around us, our professional life, you got to work in order to earn those well-earned comforts. Yeah. Basically, you know, anything in life that's worth having, you know, those comforts that we all seek out, um, you have to earn them. Otherwise they're not nearly as sweet. They're not nearly as rewarding. Um, you know, it kind of combats laziness. If you seek comfort for comfort's sake, then, you know, it's, you're not going to get very far in life, but seeking out, you know, the well-earned comforts, that's going to take you places you never thought you could, you could attain. Yes. And unlike Pippin, we have done many hard days work. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll babble like Butterbur a little bit. Seth out in Midland, Midland, Michigan. I almost said Kentucky. That'd be wrong. <laughs> you don't live in my state. Midland, Michigan, Seth. How you doing, man? What's going on? Hey, I'm good. Uh, this is the first time we've recorded in, you know, two weeks. That's why we recorded a few episodes ahead because life gets in the way, you know. Uh, my mother-in-law, Susan, Amanda's mom came out for this last week. She came and helped set up, you know, our nursery, did some painting, did a bunch of uh, cleaning and sorting through all the baby clothes that, that we've been gifted, which is, you know, just a complete blessing. Baby clothes are ridiculously expensive, but we've somehow managed to, yeah, yeah. They're pricey, but we've somehow managed to get a bunch of them for, you know, gifts and at garage sales and all kinds of stuff. So I think we're in pretty good shape, but yeah, aside from life kind of being put on hold for the last week. I mean, I still had to go to work and everything, but it was, it was great to have her out here. And I know Amanda appreciated getting to spend some time with her mom, but other than that, just, you know, another day at a time, another week closer to the birth of our daughter. And I will say that the the weather out here is completely 180. It's now 90 and sunny and just absolutely <laughs> beautiful. The trees all bloomed within like a two day span. So yeah. it feels like summer up here. Yeah, same here. It's everything's green. Everything's green. And uh, this is the first spring that we've had in this house that we bought. And we didn't even realize some of the flowers that they had planted. And like, there's an entire bush in like the back left of our yard that just sprouted up and it's got beautiful white flower uh, petals on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like, I didn't even know we had this. And I'm pretty (laughs) sure there's strawberries or something coming up on the other side of the, the yard. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, you can run cool. to Mount Doom and give them to give them to Frodo, then, huh? Some strawberries and cream, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, <laughs> though. I, it's kind of the same thing here. There's a bunch of flowers that bloomed, and it was like, whoa, okay, I didn't get to see these last year. This is this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's neat. 
Um, but so, we're good. Uh, Ariel is uh, she's gone in Colorado for her brother's graduation. So I'm bachelor life in it, um, which has already been off to a great start as I stayed up till midnight playing video games with you. Are you serious? Night. Did you really stay up till midnight playing video games? What a loser. Okay. I said with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean that as as fun as that was, like going to bed and and just like, oh gosh, my wife isn't here. It's just weird. You know, I've never actually been in at home for for a night in the three years that we've been married that that she's not been there with me. I mean, I, there's been times where I've been gone on trips and she's been home alone, but never the other way around. So it's an interesting experience for me. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> just just a boy and his dog now, huh? Just a boy and his dog. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Which is good because Pippin always cuddles Ariel when we sleep. He always goes to her side. I'll be like, I'll be literally sleeping. Ariel's like brushing her teeth. I'll be like almost half asleep. He's on my legs. And then Ariel gets in bed. He just gets up and just moves to her side of the bed. I just, I'm like, okay, fan, whatever, dude. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but yeah. He knows where the love is. Yeah, he does. I guess so. He's a mama's boy. Uh, but yeah, we're good. Other than that, um, life is, is moving really quick. We have one more Wednesday for students before the school year is ended. Um, so this, this next like week is going to be crazy busy for me, but I'm excited for, for the beach uh, trip that we're taking students on. We finished with 109 students that'll be going to Florida just from my campus over 550 from all the campuses. So it's going to be a party. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's a lot to keep track of. Oh man, it is. Yeah. And I had, I had one of my parents email me. They're like, so did you know that Fort Walton is one of the like main places for kidnappings in Florida? I was like, I do now. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) But we're taking our whole like our own security team down there and we're Good. already partnering with like local law enforcement down there to help us out. So we should be pretty well taken care of. But it was just one of those moments of like, oh, gosh, oh, snap. <laughs> yeah, but no kidding, man. Yeah. All right, let's jump into our segment riddles in the dark. Now, this one's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do, but we're going to start out normally. Seth, I've got a riddle for you. Um, right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. So obviously Pippin, he loves his pints, right? Okay. So one day he's, uh, he's, he's at the prancing pony having a pint, but he can't pay for his tab. Why? Why can't Pippin pay for his tab? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You, you made it seem like this was going to be obvious. Um, it is probably is <laughs> it is uh pippin can't pay for his tab because he likes his pint shoot not, not because he likes his pint he just that's he likes, just part of it that's just part of it you know we obviously know he loves it. his pints he loves he mm. loves his beer his ales so, i should say yeah so he he basically just can't pay for it right yeah i mean it's not because he's drunk right. um i don't know you got me he just came up short Okay. I told you, man. It was so easy. I told you. That's so cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Mine's not much better. It's a little crass, but that's all right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What do the hobbits call Gandalf behind his back when he drinks too much ale? Mm, I like how we both went for the uh, the ale (laughs) version. Completely unscripted, too. Gandalf behind his back when he drinks too much ale. So they don't call him this to his face. Correct. Uh huh. So it's probably not a very flattering term, right? No, I'm I'm thinking, play on words with Mithrandir or old Greybeard, 
Um, when he drinks too much, drunk golf. I don't. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they actually call him the White Wizard. <laughs> okay yeah i wasn't gonna get that uh, i was not gonna yeah. get that that's it's, it's kind of it's kind of cheesy a little crass but i thought it was funny <laughs> all right now this will be a little bit more exciting so sam and i each have a copy of the lord of the rings exactly it's same the th- exact same copy believe it or not it's the three and one so it's all three books within you know one giant uh softback i guess you'd call it yeah so what we're going to do paperback is what you would call paperback. Yeah, there you go. Amanda's probably like shaking her head. Um, Come on in. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're each going to open it up to a random spot and provide roughly three cent, two to three sentences of dialogue. And then we have to guess which book that's coming from. And then the context of that scene in the book. So it's testing our knowledge to see how well we know the books. Yes. Uh, Seth, why don't you go first, but make sure you, you open it outside of your camera view. Yeah. No, so I'm I don't gonna, know I'm what gonna, part. I'm, I'm just saying, see. I'm just saying right, I can, right. so, I can guess, you know, based off of which part of the book you're at. All right. You can probably hear the book <laughs> back and forth here. There you go. All right. Just got to find some random dialogue. Hmm. Okay. Well, that one has the name in it. That doesn't help. Um, <laughs> ah, maybe I'll, okay, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. It is long since we had any hope. The sword of Elendil, if it returns indeed, may rekindle it, but I do not think that it will do more than put off the evil day unless other help unlooked for comes from elves or men. Is that the Council of Elrond? Fellowship of the Ring? Incorrect. Try again. Mm. Is it Fellowship of the Ring, though? No. (laughs) Okay. Three guesses. It must give us three. Um... That was pretty good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Let's go with the. Oh, is this is this uh, two towers, Faramir? In is it really? You got it. Oh, Let's yep, go. Yep. Yeah, That's yeah. When, when, uh, he's talking with um, Sam and Frodo, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well done. Nice. Well done. That was a tough one. Yeah. Okay. That that was a sol- That was a solid guess. Well done. My turn. All our ASMR people there. <laughs> okay. All the librarians are tuning in. <laughs> the hobbits seated themselves beside him, one on either side, with their backs to the stony wall, resting their legs. There was no need for any arrangement by word. They knew they they must not sleep for a moment. Okay, well that's not dialogue. Um, oh, you want a dialogue? Sorry. But hold on, hold on. Try it. Try it one more time. The hobbits seated themselves beside him, one on either side, with their backs to the stony wall, resting their legs. There was no need for an arrangement by word. They knew that they must not sleep for a moment. That has to be Weathertop. No, see, I'll give you some dialogue here. Um, so, okay. Perhaps we'll find him again if you come with us, said Frodo. No, no, never. He's lost his precious, said Gollum. Get up, said Frodo. Gollum stood up and backed away against the cliff. Normally, I'm really good at this. Um, try me one more time. So, okay. Yeah, so it's Smeagol. Just, just read through it in normal voice here. <laughs> Perhaps we'll find him again if you come with us, said Frodo. No, no, never. He's lost his precious, said Gollum. Get up, said Frodo. Gollum stood up and backed away against the cliff. You want me to keep reading? No, I feel like that's an Emin Will 
Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that has yeah. to be an MN wheel. Yeah. They wouldn't sleep for a moment. They're, they're backed up. Yeah. That's when they first meet Smeagol yep. at the beginning of the two towers and MN wheel. Yeah. yeah. Taming, okay. Taming of Gollum. Well done. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It just took me a minute. I, yeah, I just was trying to find a spot where I was like, okay, well, obviously Gollum is here. That's, you know, pretty obvious. Like, <laughs> see, the thing is we have to find things where there's dialogue, but yeah. maybe not even like using the names of the people. Oh, okay. you know? that's a good idea for, for future. We'll, we'll build on it. We'll build yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right. So what are we talking about today? Today, the meat and potatoes is the Silmarils. So maybe you've heard of these before. Um, they are very, very prominent in the book the silmarillion you don't um, say yeah they're they're uh, pretty they're pretty important here so what we wanted to do in this podcast is give you guys an overview of the silmarillion of the silmarils because they are obviously a very big portion of the the book the quinta silmaril is just the the history of the silmarillion which is the biggest part of this the silmarillion so what are they we're going to start about like just what are these um these gems well, they're hard crystallized gems that have light in them, and they are crafted by Feanor. We'll talk a lot more about him um, into beautiful gems, but he couldn't replicate them. So he created these gems. Um, you might think similarly to Sauron. It wasn't in a malice in the way that he created them. He put his, he just put a lot of himself into these gems, and he wanted to replicate the light of the Valinor, which were the trees. So maybe you've seen these. Um, I think they're even on the. They're on the Amazon, the Amazon uh, poster or something. Poster, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which again makes me very curious as to why they're doing third age or first age stuff when they don't have rights to it. But anyway, <laughs> there's two trees. There's Telperion, which is the silver one, and Laurelin, which is the gold tree. So they gave off light to Valinor. They're pretty much like the sun and the moon. They took turns shining and putting off light for the day, obviously with the gold, and then the silver is kind of like the moon for for the night and Yavanna is actually the one who sang these into into being so Feanor wanted to create something similar to that he actually had kind of a, a like a premonition he was he had a thought to himself like what if these trees were destroyed we should probably do something to have some light in case these trees were ever destroyed so Feanor wanted to replicate the light of the trees of Valinor um, which were actually watered by the tears of Nienna um, who you might remember, we talked a little bit about a couple of podcasts ago. Um, she was, uh, she, she taught pity and endurance through pain. And so she was a sister to the Fenaturi, who was known for understanding the hurts of the world. So these trees are obviously very important. And Feanor was like, I should probably make a replication of the light just in case anything happened to him. So he creates these two Silmarils and or three, three Silmarils, excuse me. I don't know. I said two. Yeah, yeah, uh, three Silmarils and put the light of the trees inside of them and the Silmarils were incredible they shone bright at night but even brighter in the light they actually reflected any light that brought into them and reflected them out even more um, so I'll let Seth kind of talk a little bit more about Feanor and how he created them yeah so I, I think it's important to mention we're not gonna go through the entire history of the Silmarils that's way too much um, right. for one episode <laughs> of this we're just gonna kind of go over the the beginning portion of them um I think it's also important to mention that Yavanna, uh, she actually made it where it was impossible, not impossible, but extremely painful for anybody that was not mortal 
um, I'm sorry, that was not immortal or that was evil to touch the Silmarils. And that comes into play later on um, with both Baron and Luthien's story, because mm-hmm. Baron is a, is a mortal man, so he can't touch them. Um, and then also with uh, Melkor stealing them, which we'll get to a little bit later. And so, like Sam mentioned, these jewels really were a big part of the tragedies and history of the entire Second Age. So, um, anyways, kind of getting into Feanor, he was the like the original prince of the Noldor, which were a group of elves that came from Middle Earth to Valinor to live with the Valar. He's the son of Fenway, who is the High King. Uh, but Feanor kind of just dictates everything. It was said uh, at Feanor's birth that uh, for Feanor, Feanor was made the mightiest in all parts of body and mind and valor, endurance and beauty and understanding and skill and strength subtly, unlike all of the children of Ilavatar and a bright flame was within him. So he was, he was one of a kind. He was incredibly special. Um, his mom, Muriel, who is Fenway's wife, actually ended up like dying after giving birth to him. Um, she was so incredibly weary after the process of being pregnant and then the, going through the, her labor with him that she laid down and her spirit departed from her to the halls of Mandos. So she basically just just died. Um, as Right before this happened, she told Fenway, her husband, she said, Never again shall I bear child for strength that would have nursed the life of many has gone forth into Feanor. So basically she was saying, I could have, I could have given you many children, (laughs) but this one took so much out of me. And he's such a special person that I'm, I'm done. I'm out. And she actually just laid down out of pure weariness and her spirit left her. So it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Uh, everything that kind of precluded Feanor and his building of the Silmarils. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, like the prophecy that you kind of get from just what she says too. I mean, Tolkien was great at kind of foreshadowing stuff like that. And just mentioning like, like this guy's really, really important, you know? And, and there was, (laughs) I mean, she, she just gave up after having him like, all right, that was my task. I'm good. I'm done. Like, I can't do anything else. I can't offer any love or nourishment to anybody else. I'm, I'm completely sucked dry. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, so then for for Feanor, as his, you know, his might improved and as he began to work things, he he studied under an elf. I forget the guy's name, but who studied under Aule, the, the you know, the Valar, one of the Valar. Um, and so he he was really incredible at crafting things and he just wanted to build things. And so he wanted to make these, uh, these Silmarill and kind of like Sam had mentioned, there was even that little bit of foreshadowing where he was like, I need to preserve the light of these trees. Cause I think something might go wrong, which, you know, as it turns out really does happen, but it is actually speculated that the Silmarils were actually inspired by Galadriel's hair. So this is just kind of a fun tie in to Lord of the Rings, the actual story. Galadriel was alive back then. She I mean, she's one of the most ancient elves that, you know, is throughout all the stories, which is pretty remarkable. Yep. Um, I, think just her and, I think just her and Sauron are pretty much through every age, right? As far as characters. It very well could be now that you mention it. I mean, aside from the Valar that you don't really get to yeah. see in Lord of the Rings or anything. But yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're probably right. I can't think of anyone else off. The, well, maybe I mean, Gandalf and California. Um, Caridon, maybe. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and Gandalf. Yeah, 
Uh, anyways, yeah. Um, so like I was saying, Feanor was so blown away by Gladriel's hair because it was gold on one side and silver on the other that it was speculated that he wanted to craft the Silmaril out after the likeness of Gladriel's hair. And so he actually went up to her and asked for a tress of hair in three separate occasions to each time Gladriel said no to him. So he tried three times to get some hair from Gladriel to, I assume, put inside the Silmaril or to, yeah, you know, yeah. study or whatever it might be. And she said no. And so then that brings you to the Fellowship of the Ring when the Fellowship is leaving Lothlorien. I'm just going to read you a little excerpt because I think it's just absolutely beautiful. Gladriel's out there giving away gifts to everybody. And she asks Gimli and she says, well, what would you have? You know, like I've given everybody else something. What would you have? And he says, there is nothing, Lady Gladriel, nothing unless it might be unless it is permitted to ask nay, to name a single strand of your hair, which surpasses the gold of the earth as the stars surpass the gems of the mind. I do not ask for such a gift, but you commanded me to name my desire. If you think about it, that's virtually what Feanor was doing thousands and thousands and thousands of years before. And Gladriel actually is like, wow, I, how can I refuse this? This is, you know, a fantastic way of asking for it. And I commanded you to ask for this. Yeah. And she gave him three strands of hair. And how many times did Feanor ask for some hair? Three times, which just a small tangent on this. I, I love this part in the book and I love how it continues on throughout the, the book. And I wish Peter Jackson would have put it into the movies because Gimli was about to throw down with Aemir because Aemir is like, nah, I don't think Galadriel is probably the prettiest girl on earth. And Gimli's like, no, she is like, I will slew you down with my ax if you say anything bad about her. Yep. 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 <laughs> But yeah, so obviously Feanor creates these Silmarils and he wants to he wants to preserve what Tolkien says, the blessed realm imperishable. Um, again, he, he uses that word a lot, um, imperishable, you know, and the imperishable flame that we've talked about a little bit as well. Um, but this is really important. He knows how much Melkor wants to destroy the light. So Melkor has already destroyed the uh, original lamps of of Valinor that had light so Melkor just he he envies light he covets light we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute but one little excerpt as well from the Silmarillion about the the craftness of these Silmarils I thought was really interesting I'd love to just kind of have some dialogue around it because it's it's a lot deeper than I think people might think on the surface but um, we don't really know what they're created from but Tolkien describes the crystals as diamonds yet stronger so that no violence could mar them and he says that the crystals, uh, the crystal that was used to make the Silmarils as the body is to, as the children of Ilavatar. Il so he's saying the crystal on the outside covering the, the light on the inside is like the body of children of Ilavatar, which is elves and men, kind of like us, um, that, that houses our inner fire. Um, he said that is within it and yet is in all parts and it's life. So in the same way, our body's alive, does amazing things, and yet it's a house, right? Harboring our souls. We are so much more than just, just matter, right? Tolkien is making a connection here to our souls and to how like the Silmaril, that's what they were. They were actually living beings and they delighted in giving off light and receiving light in the same way that we delight in being with people, right? There's an inside of us that enjoys collaborating with one another and, and living in cheer and singing songs as he loves to do obviously throughout all of his works but i just think it's so interesting how we 
you know, we have so much more in our souls that Tolkien is even describing here in, in these Silmarils. But uh, yeah, I love how our body is just kind of the crystal that, that holds in our, what's even more important, our inner fire. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of Tolkien's basically saying like the shell can be beautiful, but what's inside is what makes the shell beautiful in a way. Um, I mean, this light that is trapped within the Silmaril, like you said, it's, it's the soul, it's the spirit. So it's like, it's like this light is a living, breathing organism in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously it's not actually breathing. It's trapped inside a crystal, (laughs) probably in an anaerobic space, but you get the point. Like it's, it's a living thing that's interacting with the world around it. It's reflecting light. It's delighting in extra light. It's lighting up the darkness. It's doing all these different things and it's coming from the core of these incredible gems. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I love how when you read Tolkien's work, like, the first time I read that, probably didn't think anything of it. Like, okay, cool. Made of really hard crystal, can't be marred by violence. Great. But then you, I mean, you just read, read it over a couple of times and he's just so intentional with every single word that he uses, um, which is great. So Feanor creates these Silmarils and then he begins to love them and covet them with, uh, with greed. And he begrudges the sight of them to all except his father and his sons, which is actually really, really important. And Tolkien describes them as he seldom remembers now that the light was even within them was not his own. Um, so this leads to a lot of disputes among the Noldor because he used to like walk into feasts and stuff. He used to have these Silmarils just on his chest. He was like flaunting yeah. around, you know, he was he was showing his bling uh, to everybody <laughs> kind of sh- showing off. And and Melkor saw it and he was jealous of it, which uh, we'll talk about here in a sec. But it's so he he was showing them off at the beginning, but then it was like it slowly deceived him like he, he just not 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 the silmarils because those are technically like a holy light you know as, as mm-hmm. opposition to the the ring that actually is evil and and makes people covet it it was just his own interpersonal like desire to covet these things and to keep them to himself and to his sons and and to his dad yeah i mean these things were basically like a gift for everybody just to lay eyes upon i mean yeah, he would yeah. he would bring these things to festivals and stuff with the valar present and the Valar themselves were blown away by them and they wanted to see them and they wanted to have them on display because of just their sheer beauty and how incredible they were. So for him to, to start getting, you know, super greedy about who can actually see them, he was actually taking away a gift from everybody by just hoarding them and not allowing um, anybody else to see them. Yep. Yep. So like Sam said, I mean, the Noldor, so they're one of the groups of elves. They're the oldest group of elves, basically, um, one of them at least. And this started to cause a lot of strife because you had some people like, what the heck? Like, why are we Why are we not showing these? It's like, you should show them off. The Valar love seeing them. And then you get some of them that are kind of starting to get a little more greedy with them as well. But believe it or not, this actually made like Sam mentioned, Melkor super jealous of these Silmarils because like mentioned earlier, he just hates light. He hates anything that he is unable to control. And if he can't corrupt it, he hates it. And so with these Silmarils, he can't, he can't corrupt them. They're just flame imperishable. Mm-hmm. So like he can't do anything about it. So he hates it. But at the same time, he's also blown away by their beauty and he starts to feel greedy towards them and becomes envious of Feanor and the fact that he doesn't have these jewels. And so Melkor being, I guess, the Lord of darkness starts weaving little lies into, into the, the Noldor, the group of elves. He starts making whispers about 
hey, the Valar are actually just keeping you here to keep um, Middle Earth safe for the second children, which a lot of these Noldor hadn't even heard of, which were yeah, going to be the true. men that were coming later. Yeah. So he starts these whispers and he starts saying that these Silmarils won't be safe here because the Valar just want, like, you're only safe here now because they want to keep track of them. And you're, you're not actually in charge. You're not actually friends with the Valar. They're just he calls them thralls, like servants of the Valar and starts just planting these seeds. And these lies just begin to fester and especially in Feanor's, in Feanor's mind. And so it really hardens the heart of Feanor and a lot of the other Noldor against the Valar um, and the bliss of Valinor. So this kind of started to make Feanor question, do we, should we stay here? Because we initially were in Middle Earth and we loved it, but then the Valar brought us over here and it's been great, but maybe they had other intentions. Um, so Feanor actually begins speaking out against the Valar and starts trying to convince the Noldor to leave and go back to Middle Earth. Um, and he began speaking as if he was the king of the Noldor, which you have to remember his, his father Fenway is still the king. But Feanor is just this powerful, powerful character that kind of just steps all over everybody. Like nobody is safe when, when yeah. he wants to yeah. do something, it it's him, his way or, or the highway. It doesn't matter if, you know, his father is king or whatever. Right. So Feanor actually gets confronted by one of his half brothers. So Fenway, his father, after his wife died, he remarried and ended up having some more sons. So Feanor has some half brothers and he gets confronted by one of them about his actions. And Feanor actually draws his sword on him and says, get thee gone and know thy place, basically. So he, he's basically saying, like, it doesn't matter if we're half brothers. I'm above you. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm Feanor. I am the one prince, even if you're other princes, like I'm the eldest, I'm, I'm in charge here. And this is important because there was never a sword drawn in Valinor in this city at all. And so it's a big deal. So the, the Valar actually put a, like a banishment on Feanor for 12 years that he can't come back to this particular city. He's still fine to live in Valinor, but he can't come back to this particular city for 12 years, which to us seems obviously like yeah. a very long time, yeah. but he's already, you know, a couple thousand years old, at least at this point. So it's really not that long. Um, but then Feanor, because of this, he left the city. He took his Silmarils. He had seven sons. He took all seven of them with him. And his dad, Fenway, actually, because of the great love that he had for Feanor, he gives up his kingship to one of um, Feanor's half-brothers in that city and goes to be with Feanor. So, I mean, it's just a complete mess. These lies that Melkor has started spreading uh, really have started to take hold and jade the Noldor against each other, against the Valar, against, you know, kind of the bliss that they were living in before. Now it's, it, they're, you know, they're starting to ask questions. Yeah. And that's where Melkor jumps back in and, and still tries to, to work his magic or, or his dark magic of deceit and lies, uh, as we've talked a lot about, but he goes to, he goes to Feanor and, and he's like, man, dude, you were, you were banished unjustly. Like they weren't being, they weren't being good to you. He's trying to like befriend him and again, smooth talk him to get, cause he, again, he's just trying to get the Silmarils. Feanor, he actually saw the lust in Melkor's eyes again with the eyes. Like you just see, I mean, you, you look at somebody, you can see what their desires are based off of their eyes, what their eyes are looking like. 
um, whether they're looking at a juicy hamburger, like, oh, I'm about to devour <laughs> this thing, or, you know, they're looking at beautiful gym or a beautiful woman, like you can just kind of tell by the way people look what's going on in their head. And so Fainor sees the lust in Melkor's eyes for his Silmarils and he slams the door on his face. But Melkor wasn't done because remember that the little thought premonition that Fainor had? Yeah, well, and it ends up coming to pass. Melkor, because uh, he's just a big jerk, calls upon Ungoliant, who is an incredible, like, I don't even know what she is. She's, she's ugly. She's fat. She's disgusting. But she takes the form of a, of a spider. She is an ancestor of Shelob, and she is just uh, a monster. Truly, truly a, a greedy, uh, gluttonous monster. And she poisons with the help of Melkor. Melkor tells her, hey, go kill the trees of, of Valinor. And so she poisons the trees and, and destroys them so that the light in Valinor is, is turned off. It covers the lands in darkness, which is kind of harkens back to what Sauron wants to do is Gandalf is telling Frodo, like, hey, if Sauron gets the ring, he can cover the land in another second darkness. Like, this is, yep. this is what Melkor and Sauron want to do. They just want to create darkness, right? I think, it, I think it's important, too. So, like, Ungoliant, she, she's kind of a mystery a little bit like Tom Bombadil. You just have no idea who she is, where she came yeah. from. Um, it's kind of described like she wasn't even part of the world and Melkor found her. Um, but she the way she feeds is she sucks up the light. So she actually feeds on the trees and mm-hmm. sucks the sap of the trees, which in turn, you know, kills the light. And that's how she feeds that insatiable hunger that she has. Right. And now as the trees are gone, the Silmarils are the last bit of the light of Valar, uh, of Valinor and the, and the Valar, they plead with Feanor. They're like, Hey man, okay. Now that now that we don't have any light, can you please give us these Silmarils so that we can create light so that we can kind of, kind of restore the light of Valinor, but Feanor, he's, he's just, he's in too deep. And with what we've seen time and time again, with precious jewels and items in Tolkien's world, he, he refuses and makes it to where only um, his father and his brothers are allowed to see him. And so while he was almost, it almost harkens, sorry to interrupt you. It almost harkens back to um, the third age. Uh, when Isildur cuts the ring from Sauron's yep. finger and he can throw it into the fire, but then he starts to covet it. So like Thanor is in the same spot. He can, he can crack open his, his Silmarils and give it the light back to the Valar because Yavanna basically says, I can't recreate these trees. I can only, mm-hmm. I, that was a one-time thing. I can only do it once, but if I were to have some of the light, I could restore the trees. Yeah. I can't, I can't make new trees, but I could restore them using the light that is within the Selmarils. And so it's kind of the same thing in that Feanor has a chance to, to give up a precious, you know, possession for the betterment of all, whereas kind of Isildur could have just tossed the ring in the fire and then Tolkien yep. would have been out of a job. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, he chooses not to. Right. And so while he's being a selfish jerk, uh, news came that Melkor actually went behind his back, killed his dad, Fenway, and stole not only just the Silmarils, but all the gems the family had. Uh, Melkor then fled to his iron fortress of Angband. Maybe you've heard of that before as well. Um, there he goes with Ngoliant. And, you know, at the beginning, the things, you know, they're working together. They're both just terrible people or terrible beings, rather. And but then Ungoliant, like I said, just this gluttonous monster just starts devouring all the gems, just 
just eating or sucking in the light of all these other gyms, which of course is not what Melkor wanted. He wanted to kind of hoard these gyms. And so Ungoliant actually goes to try to get the Silmarils as well. Um, but Melkor didn't really want that to happen because those are his, he worked so hard to get those gems. He, he finally had them. Um, and Ungoliant was trying to just eat, eat them pretty much. Um, didn't you say, you said that she like cornered him or, or something? Yeah. Like that? So, so basically um, he, Melkor had an agreement with Ungoliant. He said, if you help me, I'll feed you with both hands. And once they escape and get back to middle earth to Angband, and they're in that area, Ungoliant's like, all right, give me what to do to me. Give me what you promised. Now open your hands and give me the gems. And he gives of one hand, which is all those extra gems that you were talking about that Melkor was really hoping like, I can get away with keeping these, but turns out he can't. So he gives them all to her. And then she says with something along the lines of with one hand, you feed me. And with the other, you like aren't giving freely based on our agreement. And he's like, you've had more than your share. You don't get these. These are mine. And what's interesting is remember back at the beginning, we said that nothing of evil or immortal hands mm-hmm. or anything can touch these Silmarils without incredible pain. So Morgoth is actually burning the crap out of his hand to keep, because it, away. He's yeah. to keep it away from Ungoliant. Um, but she, again, just wants to devour the light and get rid of the light and that's how she you know gets satiated and he's basically like no no you don't get to have these and ungoliant somehow some way is more powerful than morgoth and she starts um like trapping him in her web because she's a giant spider and she just wraps him up and it wasn't until morgoth actually starts crying out for the balrogs that we mentioned earlier because remember he's back near yeah, his old fortress right, right. he starts crying out for the balrogs to come rescue him and without them coming ungoliant probably had him beat like which is kind of wild to think about yeah because if she did beat him she doesn't really care about anything like she wouldn't have carried on his evil task of you know creating sauron and just trying to cover the world in the second darkness she would have just gone around and you know continued her her devourous ways, but yeah, that's, yep. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, and but then, yeah, and then so... she kind of just disappears too. Like Tolkien basically right. says her, her, uh, like what happens to her next, this tale does not tell and nobody knows. And that's it. And she's out of the story. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. And then obviously we see an ancestor of her in Shelob, which is also very interesting that the only thing that's ever hurt Shelob or that like has fought Shelob successfully was, Sam with the light of Arendil, which we'll get to in a mm-hmm. second, is a part of a Silmaril. It's part of the light of the Silmaril. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's an interesting tie-in. But so because Morgoth was burning his hands and, and couldn't hold on to him, he actually creates an iron crown that he puts the Silmarils on. And this is actually, interestingly enough, this is the, the depiction Peter Jackson took for Sauron mm-hmm. in, in yep. the films, was that iron crown and the way that he looks in the films with the the recap at the very beginning of the fellowship so i think that's interesting that that's actually the look of melkor or morgoth that we're seeing in peter jackson films and not necessarily what sauron the the shape that sauron would have would have taken all right so basically after uh melkor went and slayed fenway feanor's father and stole the son of silmarils um feanor became the high king of the noldor so the part that he was pretty much already like the acting king, even though he wasn't king by um, by right at this point or prior to this, he now is by right the acting king 
of the Noldor. So he just, he claims the kingship and he actually um, scorns the decrees of the Valar and his, his banishment. He's like, yeah, I don't care about that anymore. I'm going to go try to rile everybody up. Um, so he decided in his mind, like, okay, well, I need to go after Melkor. We need to follow him back to Middle Earth. We need to assail him. We need to get these Silmarils back. These gems are to me that are just as incredibly precious as can be. Plus he killed my father. Like I need revenge. Um, and he actually cursed Melkor and renamed him Morgoth. So you might've heard Sam and I using Morgoth and Melkor interchangeably. Basically this is the line in the sand where more, uh, Melkor is no longer Melkor, but now Morgoth, because the Noldor and the rest of the elves will no longer say Melkor's name. They just call him Morgoth, which is the black foe of the world. And that was, like I said, the only name that they would, that they would call him by after. Um, so it's kind of the transition in names. Um, so then Feanor and his seven sons swore a terrible oath that just gets them into all kinds of trouble. Uh, throughout the history of the the Silmarils um, and the Quintus Silmarillion, could you imagine if like you, me, and Stephen, and like maybe like I don't know Nate and Darren and Levi, like we just all like swore an oath like this together? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like what would, would what would be an equivalent of that nowadays? Like, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. That <laughs> that would be a pretty wild, wild thing. Yeah, like um, I don't know, maybe Dad's baseball collection or something goes missing and we all just feel like oh my gosh we're gonna swear this oath on our lives to to make sure we get it back oh man yeah i mean it's it's a pretty hefty oath uh that they swear and it really does lead to a bunch of tragedies it leads to three separate they call it kin slayings which is elves killing elves which up until this point we'll get to the first one here in a moment is completely unheard of um and these these oaths really just drive Feanor and his sons throughout the entire history of the Silmarillion and the second age and everything. Um, so this is just a little excerpt and it says they swore an oath, which none shall break and none should take by the name of even Elovatar calling the everlasting darkness upon them. If they kept it not and Manway, they named in witness and Varda and the hallowed mountain of Tanaquetil vowing to pursue with vengeance and hatred any creature great or small good or evil that time should bring forth unto the end of days whose should hold or take or keep a silmaril from their possession which when you break this oath down there's a bunch of different pieces to it so they named manway and witness and if you remember manway's king of the valar he is the all-powerful being within this world so they also called Elovatar, who created the Valar, to witness. Serious and stuff. Then, yeah, serious stuff. And then the hollowed mountain of uh, Tanaquetil, that's that's the top of the mountain where one of the trees were that Manway lives in. It's it's a you know, it's it's a holy place. Yeah. Um it's like and Mount then, Zion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's the little things with this oath that really get you. It says hatred of any creature, great or small, good or evil. So yeah. this oath is saying, I do not care if you are a good guy or a bad guy. We are coming after you if you withhold these Silmaril from, Silmarils mm-hmm. from us, which basically leads them later on in, in the stories to kill each other for yeah. no other reason than to keep their oath, Right, which is 
you know, just a horrible, horrible oath to, to swear. It's awful. So yeah. basically this leads to the first Ken slang at, and they call it the Ken slang at Alqualande, which I think is a freaking awesome name. Alqualande, cool. um, which is basically a city right next to the sea um, that is populated by another group of elves that came across uh, the sea with the Valar uh, from middle earth. So basically, Feanor, after swearing this oath, he debated with his half-brothers and the rest of the Noldor and was like, we need to leave. We need to go. We're going regardless. I'm the High King. Are you coming or are you not? And his half-brothers really didn't want to necessarily, but they, you know, they swore. They didn't swear the oath, but they, you know, they're his half-brothers. They, they're starting to get a little wary of the Valar and they're not too sure. So in the end, they all agree to try to try to get back to Middle-earth. And so they're not really sure how they can do it unless they attempt to cross the Helcaraxe, which is a wasteland of ice, of ice, <laughs> of ice at the top of at the Easy. northern part of the world. Yeah. Um, so basically, they're like, well, we either have to cross the sea or attempt this this wasteland of pure ice. But they didn't have any ships. They didn't know how to sail. They didn't know how to build ships. Um, and that's where the Teleri come in, who, like I said, is that other group of elves. They live in Alqualande. They are, um, they're mariners. So they build these beautiful white ships. I kind of think of like the swan ships yeah. that Gladriel has mm-hmm. yep, in, in Lothlorien. And they're known as masters of the sea. And the Noldor, Feanor in particular, he goes over to him and he says, all right, you're, you're coming with us. We need your ships. Join us. Let's go. And the Teleri try to dissuade them rather than joining them. And they say, we're not going to go with you. We're not going to help you build ships. And we're not going to give you our ships um, because we're still on good terms with the Valar. We think what you're doing is wrong. We're not going to support this. We're not going to back this decision. And their Lord, Auli, I don't know how to say it. It's not Auli, the Valar. I was thinking Olway. Olway. Oh, maybe that is right. Um, it's all those little accents that Tolkien adds. I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. So what'd you say? Ole? Ole. Ole. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, I can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the king of the king of the Teleri, or I guess he's the prince of Alqualande. He basically said, sorry, uh, I've never given ear to Morgoth. I've been. Wait, hold, hold, uh, on, I, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can pronounce something like Alqualande, but you can't pronounce Ole. <laughs> Ole. W-E. <laughs> yeah, but there's that accent. <laughs> Although I think Alkalande has it too. I just keep forgetting this, how to say it. All right, good. Alway, alway, alway. I don't know. Alway, whatever. Alway. <laughs> Basically, he says, "I've never given ear to Morgoth. I still trust in Ulmo because he's Lord of the Seas and other Valar. And he's like, they'll repair the world. They'll undo the hurts of Melkor in the end. We just need to trust in them and continue our lives here." And that really pissed off Feanor and Feanor accuses him. He's like, are you renouncing your friendship with us? Like how, how dare you scorn me in my need? We need to go out there. And Alway, Alway responds in a way that I think is, (laughs) yeah, I, he responds in a way that I think is very applicable to just friendship and relationships in general. Mm -hmm. Um, He, he says to Feanor, he says, we renounce no friendship, but it may be the part of a friend to rebuke a friend's folly. And so basically he's saying what you're doing is wrong. This isn't what you should be doing. You need to get back on, you know, good terms with the Valar. We need to figure this out as opposed to scorning the Valar running away, swearing this horrible oath. 
Yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry, we're, we're not, we're not going to support this. And so this is just pissing off Feanor more and more and more. And Ole went on to say, uh, for I say to you, Feanor, son of Fenway, these ships are to us as are the gems of the Noldor, the work of our hearts, whose like we shall not make again. So basically he's saying these ships that you're trying to steal from us, that you're trying to borrow from us, that you want us to give you, these ships are to us the same as the Silmarils are to you. And you may not have them. Like, it's just not going to happen. And like I said, Feanor is, he's pretty hot headed. He's incredibly powerful. Uh, and he's like, all right, fine. Well, what I need is these ships and you're not giving them to me. So let's, let's go. And he starts, he starts attacking the Teleri which I said, like I said, is the first of the Kinslaying. They, yep. they start battling over the ships. They're on the, on the ships, on the land that a lot of, you know, elves on both sides get tossed into the sea. And then eventually it turns into, okay, we're drawing our swords. So the Noldor who had been making, you know, weapons at this point, draw their swords. The Teleri don't really have swords, but they have um, bows. And so they're just fighting back and forth. And the Teleri are actually, they end up pushing them back pushing back the Noldor three separate times and it looks like they're going to hold, but then Feanor's half brother, uh, Fingolfin, who is pretty big later on in the Silmarillion. Um, he came late to the battle. Um, and he didn't even, he, he was misunder, he, like he misunderstood the situation. He thought that the Teleri had attacked the Noldor on like, because the Valar didn't want the Noldor to leave. And so coming late to the battle, like I said earlier, he wasn't really on the same term as terms as, uh, as Feanor with wanting to leave and all this stuff, but he sees, he's like, Oh, my half brother's being attacked. We need to, we need to jump in there. Yeah. And so all of the people that he's leading jump in and eventually they just completely take out, uh, the Teleri and steal their ships. And, I think it's important to note that the Valar, the powers of the world are watching all this happen and their hearts are just breaking. Yeah. Um, and it says the Valar, Ulmo, Ase, and Uinen were not permitted to get in the middle of this battle as they weren't allowed to directly prevent the Noldor from leaving. So if you read a little bit more carefully, basically the Valar are saying, look, elves, you're free to leave. You came here by your own free will. You may leave by your own free will. We just want think this is what's best for you but you can go we will not stop you and so that's why they don't uh get involved and they don't help the teleri out they just kind of sit on their hands and what happens happens uh and unfortunately a lot of the teleri die and a lot of you know grievances were made during this time but in the end feanor because of who he is he got what he wanted he stole the ships and they started their journey back to middle earth yeah, and on the on the guarded realm, this is interesting. They suddenly beheld a dark figure standing upon a rock, um, who was said, which is interesting. Like Tolkien says, who was said to be Mandos himself. He doesn't say, yeah, it was Mandos. It was just like who was right. said to be. So like these guys are like, yeah, it's probably that Valar. I think it is. But they heard a loud voice um, that bade them stand and give an ear. So hey, you better listen. I'm I'm about to tell you something super important and what they what they heard was called the doom of the noldor or the curse of mandos and i'll just i'll just read uh read the curse out loud because it is it is powerful it's very yeah it's it's big tears unnumbered ye shall shed which is kind of prefacing the battle of unnumbered tears i kind of feel like Mm, Uh, but tears unnumbered ye shall shed 
and the Valar will fence Valinor against you and shut you out so that not even the echo of your lamentation shall pass over the mountains. Not even just like a slight whisper of your sadness is going to pass over the mountains. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. On the house of Fainor, the wrath of the Valar, lath from the west unto the uttermost east, and upon all that will follow them, it shall be laid also. Their oath shall drive them and yet betray them, and ever snatch away the very treasures that they have sworn to pursue. To evil and shall all things turn that they begin well, and by treason of kin unto kin, and the fear of treason, shall this come to pass. The dispossessed shall they be forever. And so he goes on, this is kind of like premonishing the, the sons of Fanor here and, and their oath that they swore. And he's, he goes on to say, mm-hmm. ye have spilled the blood of your kindred unrighteously and have stained the land of Ammon. For blood ye shall render blood and beyond Ammon ye shall dwell in death and death's shadow. For though Eru, Ilvatar, appointed you to die not in Ea and no sickness may assail you, yet slain ye may be and slain ye shall be by weapon and by torment and by grief and your houseless spirits shall come then to Mandos there long ye abide and yearn for your bodies and find little pity though all whom ye have slain shall entreat for you and those that endure in middle earth and come not to Mandos shall grow weary of the world as with a great burden and shall wane and become of shadows of regret before the younger race that cometh after the Valar have spoken. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a hefty, hefty. It's not, I don't know, they call it the curse of Mandos, which I'm, I'm sure the, the Noldor felt like it was a curse, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, it really is just the doom of the Noldor. Like they brought it upon themselves. Sure, it might be a little bit of a curse, like, hey, this is what's going to happen. But at the same time, it's because of their own doing. Yeah, it's the consequences of Feanor's greed and his wrath that is going to bring all this grief and lamentation upon them. So at this point, after hearing that, some of the elves did turn back, um, but Feanor and, and a mighty host went on to Middle-earth as the passage seemed unlikely with, uh, with such a host. Feanor and his seven sons took the ships and snuck away in the dead of night. So again, we just see they're holding true to their oath. So then they get to Middle-earth and Feanor said, what have I left behind? I count now no loss. Needless baggage on a road, it has proven. And so he burned the white ships. These yeah, are like so, the gems of, of the Teleri. He just burns them. He's like, that's just baggage. I don't care. Well, I mean, on top of that, like, so we didn't go into much detail here, but basically there's all these, like, there's so many Noldor that they can't all fit on the ship. So the ships are kind of going along the coastline to help um, as they try to, you know, get across the Helcaraxe or they're thinking maybe some people go come back pick up the rest of them and what sam just read this is actually as soon as they sneak onto the ships and take the loyal quote loyal elves i don't know how none of like they're all loyal at this point but um fanor's his own his own guy but he sneaks away in the dead of night lands on middle earth and then one of his sons is like all right awesome we're here we're safe we still have these ships we should send them back and go grab them and that's when Feanor basically laughs in his face and he's like, I count them no loss. Like yeah. they've just been baggage. And then he's like, light them up, set them on fire. Yeah. He's just a jerk. <laughs> and he makes, he makes uh, Fingolfin and the others 
attempt the passage of the Helicaraxe um, in the north, which is again that ice passage, which I think we see a glimpse of in the teaser trailer of uh, Rings of Power when Galadriel's like holding onto the ice with, yeah. her, with her knife. So we'll see about that. But yeah. you know, just an interesting <laughs> tie in as we get closer to this Amazon show. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what has spurred through the Silmarils. I mean, there's just been grief and betrayal and death that was not necessary by any means. So what ends up happening to the three Silmarils after all this, um, one of them is actually recovered from Melkor. So retrieved from Melkor by a guy named Baron. We'll talk more about him coming up in a future podcasts and it's taken to the Valar and it's actually exchanged through a, a bunch of different hands. The dwarves even had it for a minute. They thought they yep. it was theirs. And then Baron comes back and steals from the dwarves gives it back to Arendil, who holds that for a bit. And then Arendil is the guy that like goes to the Valar to say, Hey, come help middle earth. We're, we're in trouble. But he actually ends up putting his light into the Silmaril and he's then turned into a star. That's the light of Arendil. And that's also that the, the file of Galadriel that we've talked about is the light yep. of Arendil. Yep. So that is one of the Silmarils. The other two, the first, uh, the second Silmaril was actually picked up by one of Feanor's sons. He did a good job. He he got the Silmaril. He did what his oath was. So actually, was... both of the remaining two were. Well, yes, yes. They separate both... sons. Yep. Yeah, separate sons got, got the Silmarils. They fulfilled their oath. Um, however, because the oath was so wretched, they were evil. And as we remember, you can't grab these holy lights or else you will burn. And so that's what happens. They start burning. So the first son, out of agony, Maedros, he throws himself into a fiery chasm. So he's like just burning up with the Silmaril, which he jumps into fire, which doesn't make sense to me if he's already like in agony of the, the burning sensation in his hand. He's just going to throw his whole body in the fire. But he does. He throws his whole body in the fire. Well, and he can't he, let go of the Silmaril because that his oath would you know yeah drive him to go get it so he basically is like i just i have to go with it That's i just it. i just think it's funny that he was burning and that drove him through agony to burn his whole body like yeah yeah there's probably better ways you could have died if that was what you were <laughs> but anyway yeah he yeah. just jumps into a fiery chasm so that silmaril actually goes to the depths of the earth underneath the earth and then the uh the other brother what's his name Maglor, yes, thank you. The other, yeah. the other brother, Maglor, he is actually able to let it go, and he hurls it into the sea, which is actually a really cool, like depiction of this online. It looks like he just chucks it like freaking miles across the ocean hmm. into the sea, um, but we don't really know his his fate from that. I'm sure he goes crazy after not fulfilling his oath and probably dies some horrible death, kind of like his his brother. I mean, so it's important to understand too, and this is very sped up. There's an entire book basically about yeah, this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But these are the only two living remaining sons of Feanor. Feanor right, dies, right. which we should actually do a podcast on how Feanor dies. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty that'd cool. Be cool. That'd be cool. But these are the only two remaining sons and they didn't even want to go after the Silmarils at the, the last step. They basically are like, yeah, we, we should let it go. Everything's working out for good, but they're like, but this oath that we swore, we don't have a choice. So it's, it's, it's really just kind of a tragedy. It, it begins with tragedy with the slaying of, of Fenway. And then it ends with tragedy with another, you know, kin slaying and yeah. And everything Mando said came to pass as far yep. as the the fate of all those all those sons of Feanor. So 
So those are the three Silmarils. They have their resting place, one in the sky, one beneath the earth, and one in the sea, kind of the three elements of Arda. So those are really, really important to understand, to have a history of as we move forward through um, some of the first age events, uh, especially as we go into Baron and Luthien. There's a, a big play that, that we're, we'll talk about there. And I just, I, I really love that story. I don't know. It's, my, it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, those are the Silmarils uh, in a very shortened, <laughs> condensed version. Um, but it, it just goes to show that in every single, you know, work of Tolkien, there's something precious that is being coveted. There's a jewel, there's a, you know, it's the Arkenstone, it's the ring, it's the Silmarils that, mm-hmm. you know, drive people mad, that, that make people grieve and hurt each other, brother versus brother, like kinsling. I mean, it's just the greed that comes from, from just things right? Possessions. And I love yeah. what Thorne's last words to Bilbo as he overcomes the dragon sickness, as they call it. He said, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. So they, I mean, you think about the difference there. Food is shared, right? We go to mom's house and we just dig in. She just loads up the table and we're sharing food. Yeah. Cheer, it's shared. You know, you're laughing together. You're telling jokes one, with one another. Your song is shared. You're singing songs together. You think of the dwarves um, and how they brought together singing far over the Misty Mountains. Like it's just stuff you do all together. You take that and you you pit it against the hoarding of gold or hoarding of possessions like these gems or you know any any material thing that we can think of. Even here for us in our world, right? We see yeah. the materialist side is just pitting people against each other, brother versus brother, father versus son, like stuff like that. It's just it's sad to see, but Tolkien understood understood this to obviously a whole new level. Yeah. It is interesting to me and in kind of the three main stories that Tolkien has around surrounding Middle Earth and the Silmarillion, the the gems drive elves to kill elves and elves to kill dwarves and elves to kill men and like friend against friend with the Silmarils. And then you get to the one ring and Smeagol obtains it by killing his his cousin Deagle. Mm-hmm. So the ring is driving, you know, friend to kill friend. And then also the Arkenstone, you know, is, is driving, uh, Thorin. He's, he's sitting atop, you know, his gate in the, the lonely mountain saying, let's go, let's duel. Like I'll take on all you elves. I'll take on all you men of Lake town. We'll, we'll go friend against friend all over possessions. And I think that's a pretty powerful lesson. Like Sam was talking about, um, that Tolkien it really is trying to drive home through all his stories. He's like, possessions are possessions. We we need to find other things that are more valuable and focus on those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you enjoyed this uh, portion of our podcast, the meat and potatoes. Next, Gondor calls for aid. We're going to break in the halls of Metaseld and shout, Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? So if you enjoyed the podcast, please light a beacon by sharing it with fellow friends and fans. And also don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a review. If you'd like to share your Tolkien story, you can do that and email me at wecpodcast at gmail.com. That's wecpodcast at gmail.com. So proud of that. Biggest accomplishment I've ever, ever made. It's a big deal, bud. It's a big <laughs> deal. Get a, get a banner, hang it in your room. That's right. That's right. Please join us next week as we continue the story of the Silmarils and dive into the love story of Baron and Luthien. Thank you again for joining us for some well-earned comforts. Until next time, we bid you a very fond farewell. <laughs>